This is Chapter Eleven of the American Claimant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The American Claimant, Chapter Eleven. During the first days, he kept the fact diligently before his mind that he was in a land where there was work and bread for all. In fact, for convenience' sake, he fitted it to a little tune and hummed it to himself but as time wore on the fact itself began to take on a doubtful look and next the tune got fatigued and presently ran down and stopped his first effort was to get an upper clerkship in one of the departments where his oxford education could come into play and do him service but he stood no chance whatever there competency was no recommendation political backing without competency was worth six of it he was glaringly English, and that was necessarily against him in the political center of a nation where both parties prayed for the Irish cause on the housetop and blasphemed it in the cellar. By his dress he was a cowboy. That won him respect, when his back was not turned. But it couldn't get a clerkship for him. But he had said, in a rash moment, that he would wear those clothes till the owner or the owner's friends caught sight of them and asked for that money, and his conscience would not let him retire from that engagement now. At the end of a week things were beginning to wear rather a startling look. He had hunted everywhere for work, descending gradually the scale of quality, until apparently he had sued for all the various kinds of work a man without a special calling might hope to be able to do, except ditching, and the other coarse manual sorts, and had got neither work nor the promise of it. He was mechanically turning over the leaves of his diary, meanwhile, and now his eye fell upon the first record made after he was burnt out. I myself did not doubt my stamina before. Nobody could doubt it now, if they could see how I am housed, and realize that I feel absolutely no disgust with these quarters but am as serenely content with them as any dog would be in a similar kennel. Terms, twenty-five dollars a week. I said I would start at the bottom. I have kept my word. A shudder went quaking through him, and he exclaimed, What have I been thinking of? This the bottom, mooning along a whole week, and these terrific expenses climbing and climbing all the time. I must end this folly straightway. He settled up at once and went forth to find less sumptuous lodgings. He had to wander far and seek with diligence, but he succeeded. They made him pay in advance, four dollars and a half. This secured both bed and food for a week. The good-natured, hard-worked landlady took him up three flights of narrow, uncarpeted stairs and delivered him into his room. There were two double bedsteads in it and one single one. He would be allowed to sleep alone in one of the double beds until some new boarder should come, but he wouldn't be charged extra. So he would presently be required to sleep with some stranger. The thought of it made him sick. Mrs. Marsh, the landlady, was very friendly and hoped he would like her house. They all liked it, she said. And they're a very nice set of boys. They carry on a good deal, but that's their fun. You see, this room opens right into this back one, and sometimes they're all in one and sometimes in the other, and hot nights they all sleep on the roof when it don't rain. They get out there the minute it's hot enough. The season's so early that they've already had a night or two up there. If you'd like to go up and pick out a place, you can. You'll find chalk in the side of the chimney where there's a brick wanting. 
you just take the chalk and but of course you've done it before oh no i haven't why of course you haven't what am i thinking of plenty of room on the plains without chalking i'll be bound well you just chalk out a place the size of a blanket anywhere on the tin that ain't already marked off you know and that's your property you and your bedmate take turnabout carrying up the blanket and pillows and fetching them down again or one carries them up and the other fetches them down you fix it the way you like you know you'll like the boys they're everlasting sociable except the printer he's the one that sleeps in that single bed the strangest creature i don't believe you could get that man to sleep with another man not if the house was a fire mind you i'm not just talking i know the boys tried him to see they took his bed out one night and so when he got home about three in the morning he was on a morning paper then but he's on an evening one now there wasn't any place for him but with the iron moulder and if you'll believe me he just set up the rest of the night he did honest they say he's cracked but it ain't so he's english they're awful particular you won't mind my saying that you-you're english yes i thought so i could tell it by the way you mispronounce the words that's got a's in them you know such as saying laugh when you mean laugh but you'll get over that he's a right-down good fellow and a little sociable with the photographer's boy and the caulker and the blacksmith that work in the navy yard but not so much with the others the fact is though it's private and the others don't know it he's a kind of an aristocrat his father being a doctor and you know what style that is in england i mean because in this country a doctor ain't so very much even if he's that but over there of course it's different so this chap had a falling out with his father and was pretty high strung and just cut for this country and the first he knew he had to get to work or starve well he'd been to college you see and so he judged he was all right did you say anything no i only sighed and there's where he was mistaken why he mighty near starved and i reckon he would have starved sure enough if some juror printer or other hadn't took pity on him and got him a place as apprentice so he learned the trade and then he was all right but it was a close call once he thought he had got to haul in his pride and holler for his father and why you're sighing again is anything the matter with you does my clatter oh dear no uh, pray go on i like it yes uh, you see he's been over here ten years he's twenty-eight now and he ain't pretty well satisfied in his mind because he can't get reconciled to being a mechanic and associating with mechanics he being as he says to me a gentleman which is a pretty plain letting on that the boys ain't but of course i know enough not to let that cat out of the bag why would there be any harm in it harm in it they'd lick him wouldn't they wouldn't you of course you would don't you ever let a man say you ain't a gentleman in this country but laws what am i thinking about i reckon a body would think twice before he said a cowboy wasn't a gentleman a trim active slender and very pretty girl of about eighteen walked into the room now in the most satisfied and unembarrassed way she was cheaply but smartly and gracefully dressed and the mother's quick glance at the stranger's face as he rose was of the kind which inquires what effect has been produced and expects to find indications of surprise and admiration this is my daughter hattie we call her puss it's the new boarder puss this without rising 
the young englishman made the awkward bow common to his nationality and time of life in circumstances of delicacy and difficulty and these were of that sort for being taken by surprise his natural lifelong self sprang to the front and that self of course would not know just how to act when introduced to a chambermaid or to the heiress of a mechanic's boarding-house his other self the self which recognized the equality of all men would have managed the thing better if it hadn't been caught off guard and robbed of its chance the young girl paid no attention to the bow but put out her hand frankly and gave the stranger a friendly shake and said how do you do then she marched to the one washstand in the room tilted her head this way and that before the wreck of a cheap mirror that hung above it dampened her fingers with her tongue perfected the circle of a little lock of hair that was pasted against her forehead then began to busy herself with the slops well i must be going it's getting towards supper-time make yourself at home mr tracy you'll hear the bell when it's ready the landlady took her tranquil departure without commanding either of the young people to vacate the room the young man wondered a little that a mother who seemed so honest and respectable should be so thoughtless and was reaching for his hat intending to disembarrass the girl of his presence but she said where are you going well nowhere in particular but as i am only in the way here why who said you were in the way sit down i'll move you when you are in the way she was making the beds now he sat down and watched her deft and diligent performance what gave you that notion do you reckon i need a whole room just to make up a bed or two in well no it wasn't that exactly we are away up here in an empty house and your mother being gone the girl interrupted him with an amused laugh and said nobody to protect me bless you i don't need it i'm not afraid i might be if i was alone because i do hate ghosts and i don't deny it not that i believe in them before i don't i'm only just afraid of them how can you be afraid of them if you don't believe in them oh i don't know the how of it that's too many for me i only know it's so it's the same with maggie lee who is that one of the boarders young lady that works in the factory she works in a factory yes shoe factory in a shoe factory and you call her a young lady why she's only twenty-two what should you call her i wasn't thinking of her age i was thinking of the title the fact is i came away from england to get away from artificial forms for artificial forms suit artificial people only and here you've got them too i'm sorry i hoped you had only men and women everybody equal no differences in rank the girl stopped with a pillow in her teeth and the case spread open below it contemplating him from under her brows with a slightly puzzled expression she released the pillow and said why they are all equal where is any difference in rank if you call a factory girl a young lady what do you call the president's wife call her an old one. Oh, you make age the only distinction there ain't any other to make as far as i can see then all women are ladies certainly they are all the respectable ones well that puts a better face on it certainly there is no harm in a title when it is given to everybody it is only an offence and a wrong when it is restricted to a favoured few but miss uh, hattie miss hattie be frank confess that that title isn't accorded by everybody to everybody the rich american doesn't call her cook a lady isn't that so yes it's so what of it 
he was surprised and a little disappointed to see that his admirable shot had produced no perceptible effect what of it he said why this equality is not conceded here after all and the americans are no better off than the english in fact there's no difference now what an idea there's nothing in a title except what is put into it you said that yourself suppose the title is clean instead of lady you get that i believe so instead of speaking of a woman as a lady you substitute clean and say she's a clean person that's it in england the swell folks don't speak of the working people as gentlemen and ladies oh no and the working people don't call themselves gentlemen and ladies certainly not so if you used the other word there wouldn't be any change the swell people wouldn't call anybody but themselves clean and those others would drop sort of meekly into their way of talking and they wouldn't call themselves clean we don't do that way here everybody calls himself a lady or gentleman and thinks he is and don't care what anybody else thinks of him so long as he doesn't say it out loud you think there's no difference you knuckle down and we don't ain't that a difference it is a difference i hadn't thought of i admit that still calling oneself a lady doesn't uh, i wouldn't go on if i were you howard tracy turned his head to see who it might be that had introduced this remark it was a short man about forty years old with sandy hair no beard and a pleasant face badly freckled but alive and intelligent and he wore slop-shot clothing which was neat but showed wear he had come from the front room beyond the hall where he had left his hat and he had a chipped and cracked white wash-bowl in his hand the girl came and took the bowl i'll get it for you you go right ahead and give it to him mr barrow he's the new boarder mr tracy and i just got to where it was getting too deep for me much obliged if you will hattie i was coming to borrow of the boys he sat down at his ease on an old trunk and said i've been listening and got interested and as i was saying i wouldn't go on if i were you you see where you are coming to don't you calling yourself a lady doesn't elect you that is what you were going to say and you saw that if you said it you were going to run right up against another difference that you hadn't thought of to it whose right is it to do the electing over there twenty thousand people in a million elect themselves gentlemen and ladies and the nine hundred and eighty thousand accept that decree and swallow the affront which it puts upon them why if they didn't accept it it wouldn't be an election it would be a dead letter and have no force at all over here the twenty thousand would-be exclusives come up to the polls and vote themselves to be ladies and gentlemen but the thing doesn't stop there the nine hundred and eighty thousand come and vote themselves to be ladies and gentlemen too and that elects the whole nation since the whole million vote themselves ladies and gentlemen there is no question about that election it does make absolute equality and there is no fiction about it while over yonder the inequality by decree of the infinitely feeble and consent of the infinitely strong is also absolute as real and absolute as our equality tracy had shrunk promptly into his english shell when this speech began notwithstanding he had now been in severe training several weeks for contact and intercourse with the common herd on the common herd's terms but he lost no time in pulling himself out again and so by the time the speech was finished his valves were open once more and he was forcing himself to accept without resentment the common herd's frank fashion of 
dropping sociably into other people's conversations, unembarrassed and uninvited. The process was not very difficult this time, for the man's smile and voice and manner were persuasive and winning. Tracy would even have liked him on the spot, but for the fact—fact fact which he was not really aware of—that the equality of men was not yet a reality to him, it was only a theory. The mind perceived, but the man failed to feel it. It was Hattie's ghost over again, merely turned around. Theoretically Barrow was his equal, but it was distinctly distasteful to see him exhibit it. He presently said, "'I hope in all sincerity that what you have said is true, as regards the Americans, for doubts have crept into my mind several times. It seemed that the equality must be ungenuine where the sign-names of castes were still in vogue.' but those sign-names have certainly lost their offence, and are wholly neutralized, nullified, and harmless if they are the undisputed property of every individual in the nation. I think I realize that caste does not exist, and cannot exist, except by common consent of the masses outside of its limits. I thought caste created itself and perpetuated itself, but it seems quite true that it only creates itself and is perpetuated by the people whom it despises, and who can dissolve it at any time by assuming its mere sign-names themselves. It's what I think. There isn't any power on earth that can prevent England's thirty millions from electing themselves dukes and duchesses to-morrow, and calling themselves so, and within six months all the former dukes and duchesses would have retired from the business. I wish they'd try that. Royalty itself couldn't survive such a process. A handful of frowners against thirty million laughers in a state of eruption. Why, it's Herculaneum against Vesuvius. It would take another eighteen centuries to find that Herculaneum after the cataclysm. What's a colonel in our South? He's a nobody, because they're all colonels down there. No, Tracy. Shudder from Tracy. Nobody in England would call you a gentleman, and you wouldn't call yourself one and I tell you it's a state of things that makes a man put himself into a most unbecoming attitude sometimes. The broad and general recognition and acceptance of caste as caste does, I mean, makes him do it unconsciously, being bred in him, you see, and never thought over and reasoned out. You couldn't conceive of the Matterhorn being flattered by the notice of one of your comely little English hills, could you? Why, no. Well, then— let a man in his right mind try to conceive of Darwin feeling flattered by the notice of a princess. It's so grotesque that it—well, it paralyzes the imagination. Yet that Memnon was flattered by the notice of that statuette. He says so, says so himself. The system that can make a god disown his godship and profane it—oh, well, it's all wrong. It's all wrong and ought to be abolished, I should say. The mention of Darwin brought on a literary discussion, and this topic roused such enthusiasm in Barrow that he took off his coat and made himself the more free and comfortable for it, and detained him so long that he was still at it when the noisy proprietors of the room came shouting and skylarking in, and began to romp, scuffle, wash, and otherwise entertain themselves. He lingered yet a little longer to offer the hospitalities of his room and his bookshelf to Tracy, and ask him a personal question or two. What is your trade? They—well, they call me a cowboy, but that is a fancy. I'm not that. I haven't any trade. What do you work at for your living? Oh, 
anything i mean i would work at anything i could get to do but thus far i haven't been able to find an occupation maybe i can help you i'd like to try i shall be very glad i've tried myself to weariness well of course where a man hasn't a regular trade he's pretty bad off in this world what you needed i reckon was less book learning and more bread and butter learning i don't know what your father could have been thinking of you ought to have had a trade you ought to have had a trade by all means but never mind about that we'll stir up something to do i guess and don't you get homesick that's a bad business we'll talk the thing over and look around a little you'll come out all right wait for me i'll go down to supper with you by this time tracy had achieved a very friendly feeling for barrow and would have called him a friend maybe if not taken too suddenly on a straight-out requirement to realize on his theories he was glad of his society anyway and was feeling lighter-hearted than before also he was pretty curious to know what vocation it might be which had furnished barrow such a large acquaintanceship with books and allowed him so much time to read End of chapter eleven